This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Lee Zeldin's going to be on with us in a matter of moments. Peter Schweitzer at the bottom of the hour, the man leading the charge on the Biden family and their dicey investments. 19 pages, 19 separate pages uh, emerged yesterday uh, to have different bank records. It's unbelievable how they coincide with meetings that the president was in, either on speakerphone or beyond. Well, we'll talk to Lee Zeldin and Peter Schweitzer about that, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're also asking the federal government to declare a state of emergency. Additionally, the federal government needs to provide more funding to match the reality of the course on the ground. Yes, and it doesn't help to be a sanctuary city where you say, come one, come all. That is Mayor Adams. The border bust in cities are getting slammed by the shrapnel. Worst of all, New York City. While the White House says, hold on for about two years till after the election. News flash to President Biden. We cannot wait, nor can Chicago, nor can the state of Massachusetts. Number two. We have a plan. Let's turn things around. Bidenomics is just another way of saying Restore the American dream. 2024 from uh, Trump's Twitter. He uh, being jacked by Jack to the debates part two and the Biden case for four more years. We'll discuss it all. Number one. You mentioned the Russian oligarch, Yelena Batarina. She drops a $3.5 million payment into a Hunter Biden related account. Hunter Biden's checking. Is Elena Batarina going to invest in our new real estate project in New York? He gets an answer. Yep, she signed off on it. She's having dinner with Joe Biden. John Solomon. Joe, you were the business. $20 million in payments, luxury car giveaways. Uh, these bucks came from Kazakhstan. Dark corners. Moscow mayor, no longer in power. Ukraine injury company, no longer in existence. All this happened after or before Joe met with them. Lee Zeldin, you join us now. Uh, former New York gubernatorial candidate, longtime congressman from New York, and a lawyer yourself, right? Yes, sir. Uh, also serving the military and the National Guard at this moment. Uh, Army Reserve. Army Reserve. Uh, 21st Reserve. year. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so, first off, when people say, well, Joe wasn't involved. No, no deposits went into his account. Okay, let's move on, right? What you just said, Joe, you were the business. That, that is such an important point. And for all of those trying to hold the Biden family water, and they're saying that there's no evidence at all of any corruption, they are ignoring what is now bank records, documents, pics, videos, text messages, emails, WhatsApp messages, whistleblowers from the IRS, whistleblowers who are testifying who are either business associates or former clients. The list goes on of the evidence, and yet still, I'm sure, you know, while you were on your TV show this morning, Scarborough is probably on his show saying, you know, there's no evidence of anything here holding water. But you know what? I, I think it's coming home to roost. On uh, Mornings with Maria this morning, Maria Bartiromo asked uh, James Comer, 
the chair of House Oversight, whether or not they will subpoena the Bidens to testify. He said that he would. And I'll tell you what, it is absolutely precedented because I remember the last administration, Don Jr., for example, spending nine hours down there in Adam Schiff's skiff having to get grilled on this Russia collusion hoax. Which never existed, never happened. And and this did, the evidence is there, and uh, this is not going away just by wishing it away. Kate Berner, a former Biden White House official, said, quote, the memo doesn't show a direct payment to Joe. I would like to know how Joe Biden, with 50 years serving in elected office, is living this, this the house that he has in Delaware the the beachfront estate, the the style of living, like where did it come from? Maybe when Hunter Biden is in, there should be questions asked. I mean, listen, it, it, under oath, maybe Hunter decides to tell the truth, maybe decides not to. It, it is not okay. It is criminal to lie. But I think some questions need to be asked about who was the big guy because multiple people are attributing that mm-hmm. to being your father. Was there a cash payment? Did you pay any of your father's bills? Did anyone else in the family do that? What about these shell companies? Let's account for that money. Yeah, I, I really hope that they can get these people in front of them, like Hunter, to answer so these Hunter, questions. Hunter doesn't do any tax returns for years. And then when he does, he owes $100,000 after a five-year investigation. There's millions of dollars here. There's a Porsche that he bought for $142,000. Uh, there's $3.5 million payment to Rosemont Seneca. Where's that money? There is $2.7 million transferred to Rosemont Seneca, uh, the uh, co-sponsor that he got from a Kazakhstan billionaire. Where is that money? And I just go back to this text message found on his laptop, which I think is telling. First, he's just singing a sad song that had no one in his life respects him. And then goes on to say uh, to his daughter, I don't receive any respect. That's fine. I guess it works for you, apparently. I hope you all can do what I did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years. It's really hard. But don't worry. Unlike Pop, I won't make you give me half of your salary. Uh, again, evidence. Like, this is these are car, cold, hard facts. You said uh, goes out and pays for a Porsche. It's one hundred forty-two thousand dollars. Why? That was like the day after he received a payment for the exact same amount. He receives one hundred forty-two thousand three hundred dollars, and the next day goes out and buys a car for one hundred forty-two thousand three hundred dollars. And I, I bet you that Biden spin would be like, oh, it's just a coincidence. It just happens to be the same exact price. Well, what about? Uh, the meeting at Cafe Milano that's being referenced, the dinner, are, did you just sit there the entire time and talk about the weather in D.C.? Well, he said, uh, and here's the exchange with uh, Peter Ducey yesterday. Uh, he asked one question, cut two. Now, excuse me, where's the actual exchange? Cut one. There's this testimony now where one of your son's former business associates is claiming that you – we're on speakerphone a lot with them, talking business. Is that what? I've never talked business in anyway. And I, I knew you'd have a lousy question. Well, what do you, it's, why is that a lousy question? Because it's not true. What is not true? He says he'd never talked business, but, and Devin Archer said, well, it was implied. It was the Biden brand. He was actively participating in a business meeting. This is a a meeting where Hunter is in the room trying to solicit massive multi-million dollar contracts from prospective business clients and and your dad calls or you call your dad and you put him on speaker. Now, if if I was sitting down at a business meeting trying to solicit a client, 
and the Klein is is a foreign entity that's trying to get access to the U.S. government. And I said, oh, you know what? Uh, unrelated, I need to call my father up, who just happens to be the vice president of the United States. I'm going to put him on speakerphone because I think it would be a good time to check how the weather is outside. Right. And we're supposed to believe this. So it is it is so obvious for the average everyday American out there. You don't have to be a diehard who hates Joe Biden or loves Joe Biden. Every single American of every stripe, whether you're political or not, red, blue, it doesn't matter. They're all able to see through this and add it up. Clearly, they sold access to the U.S. government, trading that access for tens of millions right. of dollars totally corrupt. I think Andy McCarthy's is fair. An analyst is out there. He, he writes columns. He's a writer first, actually. Uh, he's a lawyer first, writer second, and now he's been on com- uh, commentating. This struck me what he said on Monday. This was before the 19 pages we got yesterday. Listen. You know, there's a lot of questions about how often did Joe or did Joe talk about the business with Hunter? Was he involved in the business with Hunter? That gets the, you know, the cart before the horse. The business was Joe Biden, access to Joe Biden. Simple as that. He was the business. He was the business. And you can't talk about this as if it was Hunter's business. Ian Sams from the White House says this. Oversight and investigation said Comer's memo doesn't show anything about President Biden and fiscal uh, and and has faced his inability to uncover any evidence that President Biden did anything wrong. Uh, Comer is now explicitly moving the goalposts. And for people like this, and quite frankly, clowns like this, you could uh, Joe Biden can shoot someone on Fifth Avenue in New York City and and get away with it. Uh, there there are people who it does not matter what you come up with. When I went through the list earlier of the documents, the pics, the videos, the emails, the text, and I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the laptop. On top of that, a few minutes ago. I mean, the evidence is continuing to mount. More people are going to be called to testify in front of the House. I believe that the House has to start an impeachment inquiry. How do you not, at this point, start an impeachment inquiry? That can yield more answers. And what might be caused you by believe start- they should. I believe that they have to, really. I can't, I, don't, I can't imagine them trying to explain away why they didn't at this point. How would it be different from what they're doing now? How does CNN and MSNBC continue to ignore it when you are having a house, an active house impeachment inquiry as going on as the highest profile item that is in front of the United States Congress right now? This is a committee. There are a few committees there are investigating and CNN or MSNBC might want to talk about UFOs or Donald Trump or whatever. Donald Trump. They want to talk about anything other than this. It's going to be really hard when it is unequivocally indisputable, the highest profile item in front of Congress, an active House impeachment inquiry. Lee Zeldin here. When we come back, I want to talk about 2024, but I just want you to hear this. John Solomon's been outlining this case pretty effectively last night. Cut four. You mentioned the Russian oligarch, Yelena Batarina. She drops a $3.5 million payment into a Hunter Biden-related account in February. In March and April of 2014, the conversations are continuing. Hunter Biden's checking. Is Elena Batarina going to d- invest in our new real estate project in New York? He gets an answer. Yep, she signed off on it. A couple days later, do you know where Yelena Batarina is? She's having dinner with Joe Biden at the Cafe Milano. This is a pattern that repeats itself. And also not getting sanctioned. You were going to be uh, you were going to be governor. You got very close. You were going to be able to work with Mayor Adams. 
Uh, your front and center, I know you would have been able to get rid of the sanctuary city status the best you could and stop the influx of illegal immigrants to the point where this is an absolute utter definition of a crisis. Uh, Here is Mayor Adams not talking about illegal immigration. He was talking about that all day, but talking about his nightlife. Listen to this. Cut 27. The headline in The New Yorker the other day was Mayor Adams' administration of bluster. How do you respond to those criticisms? Well, you, come on. This is New York. I'm the mayor of the most important city <laughs> on the globe. And yeah. I got a yeah, boost. Yeah. I got a boost in multi-million, billion-dollar uh, nightlife industry that was dying through COVID. Every time I walk inside a restaurant, those cooks, those chefs, those waiters, those right. busboys and girls, that boosts the economy. My oh, nightlife establishment okay. is, is huge. So how do you feel about him boosting the economy that way, that stimulus? I got to tell you, my my thoughts on this is influenced by a dinner that you and I were at, the, the Alfred E. Smith dinner last year, where somebody was on the joke, uh, what was uh, telling jokes on the mic. You, if you remember, Eric Adams was on the dais with us and Bill de Blasio was on the dais with us. And the guy quipped that I'd rather have a mayor who stays up all night than a mayor who never gets up. <laughs> That's true. I mean, we really experienced the absolute rock bottom with Bill de Blasio. I think that Eric Adams understands many dynamics of what needs to get done. But here's the thing. If you have the understanding and courage to lead, if you're going to step out on an issue, you have to expect that you're going to get popped in the nose. And what Adams is doing too much is that when he does finally put his foot out there and he's and he leads on an issue, he gets popped in the nose and he takes a step back. Always. Always. And he has to take on his own party. And right here, he has to take on his own party with the migrant crisis. You say, yes, there's a crisis. There's an emergency. Republicans have been talking about it since the day Biden took office. But this isn't about more money for New York City that it won't solve it. You need to tell President Biden, secure our southern border. You need to finish construction of the border wall, end catch and release, and force the remain in Mexico policy. We need to stop the sanctuary city policy, stop the sanctuary state policies. You need to actually lead and stop cowering. When you step forward, they pop you in the nose, double down on what you know it's is right. When your own party hits you, he gets intimidated. He doesn't care about Republicans. $12 billion is going to cost us over the next three years. It costs, uh, it costs $9.8 million a day to house the 54,000 we have here. Randall's Island is taken out. McCarran Park is taken out. These kids have nowhere to play. Adult leagues don't exist. It's unbelievable what has taken place. And if you listen to Arthur Idala, who sat in on the meeting with the federal government liaison yesterday, who's supposed to help us with the meeting New York, uh, with what's going on here, evidently he basically said, for two years, suck it up. Wait for me to win re-election, and then I'll give you all the money you need. How evil is that? There is very, there is a certainty, not near certainty. We are 100% sure that things will continue to get worse with the way they are tackling it. If you provide more money for free education, free housing, free health care, more free, free stuff, if you just try to find new space anywhere in New York City to house these people, more come the next day. So this is not going to get fixed with anything that these Democrats at any level are doing or talking about on this issue. It will not get fixed unless max pressure is put on Joe Biden and the Biden administration to actually secure our southern border. This is not a solution that we're seeing out of New York City. This is a punt and it won't work. All right. You're going to be on America's newsroom in 10 minutes. Are you ready for that? Well, you know, this is the the best 
warm-up that you can possibly get. Uh, you know, I always love coming on air with you. Uh, you know, listen, as a fellow Long Islander, <laughs> you well know that uh, w- within many, many, many miles of, uh, of Massapequa, there's uh, uh, such immense pride in you. So for me and my daughter, uh, who's here with me today. Well, she Michaela, was following us on Fox and Friends yesterday. She, she was, and she was uh, pretty excited about it. She, she sent me a pic of, of you on set, and uh, it really made her day. So uh, for both of us to be here with you, yeah, awesome prep for a newsroom. All right, good. Yeah, bring your A game to them, okay? They were expecting yes, nothing short of that. And maybe the next uh, in a few years you run for governor again. Uh, listen, Lee Zeldin, thanks so much. When we come back, your turn, one 408-7669, Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Just the last um, two days, there have been two more polls that have come out that now have me tied for second with Governor DeSantis. Um, one at uh, 11% and one at 9%. So we feel like it's really moving in our direction. Our momentum is going the right way. Governor DeSantis is, is going in the wrong direction. And so first job is to get past Governor DeSantis here in New Hampshire. We've now caught him. Now we need to pass him. And then we're going to take on Donald Trump one-on-one. In Iowa, DeSantis is solid second at 13%, but the president way out in front. Uh, that is Chris Christie's, like, 9 or 11. I think they're virtually tied. Another poll, DeSantis is second, but he's got to run harder. Uh, Christie is well-known in the area, un- understood, understands all the subjects. I personally think that he's got to have a nuance, a nuance when it comes to Trump. Tell him the, all the reasons you want personally, but also point out uh, the fact is he did a lot right. This is the reason you supported him. You supported him on the border. You supported his foreign policy. You supported uh, his, his tax reform, but you didn't support him since January 6th or, or whatever. But I just think you can do a dissemination, especially because it's clear that he could be a contender and everybody's in place for one reason, in case the legal cases get so strong against Trump that he drops out or he goes to jail, something like that. So that's why everyone's ready, and that's why Chris Christie's going to hang in there. But in Iowa, it looks as though Christie, excuse me, DeSantis is going to every single county. He's trying to be a little bit more personable. He just revamped his campaign again. If he's respectable in both uh, Iowa as well as New Hampshire and gets you to South Carolina, well, Trump will, will be big. Then he feels as though if he could just stay in there long enough, have the finances to make him last uh, long enough, then he'll stick around. It's going to be interesting, but not nearly as interesting as I thought. Peter Schweitzer next. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What James Comer's done is followed the money, then put a timeline together. It is very clear as what's going. Hunter Biden was selling access to his father. There's nothing his father can say tonight. He went to the dinners. He got on the phone calls. It wasn't the illusion of access. It was access. And if you have any doubt, we can just maybe send this over to Congressman Goldman tomorrow. There's an email from Vadim Pazarsky, the Ukraine Burisma official, who said, great seeing your dad last night. That is an illusion. Actually, he saw Joe Biden at the dinner. He stayed for the whole dinner, by the way. Peter Schweitzer joins us now, president of the uh, Government Accountability Institute, author of Red Handed, How How America's Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. Peter, you roll over this Biden story, and now it's finally catching steam. First off, are you astounded it took this long? Uh, Yeah, I am, Brian. Um, You know, you and I talked about this on Fox back in 2018 when I published a book called Secret Empires, where we first exposed the Biden family deals in China. And here we are five years later. Um, But look, you can't make the perfect the enemy of the good. I think what the uh, Congressional Committee is doing is fantastic. Uh, I think they're laying out the evidence and they're making the case by getting the forensic evidence. Now they're starting to move towards some of the partners, people like Devin Archer. And then I think finally uh, they're going to call Hunter Biden and other Biden family members to testify. A couple of things uh, are amazing. Because Joe Biden doesn't say deposit $1 million in my account at noon tomorrow and make sure you take a picture of it, people say he wasn't involved. The fact that he came in and talked generally about what happened and made relationships with these people at business or through phone calls, is that enough? (laughs) Yes, absolutely it is. And what I would say to people, um, you know, Philip Bump of The Washington Post and others are saying, oh, well, where's the evidence of the bribe? Spend 10 minutes going through how bribes and corruption are handled in the third world, how they're handled in Africa and Asia and Latin America. It's very rarely the elected official themselves that takes the money. It's usually a family member or a third party. Uh, Only the stupid ones uh, take the money to get paid directly. Uh, And and the Bidens are not stupid. You can not like them for a variety of reasons, but they're very shrewd in the way that they have handled this. Um, But the bottom line is the Bidens and their allies and their friends in the media, nobody has been able to explain why are these foreign entities sending tens of millions of dollars to the Bidens? What are they sending it for? There's no explanation. There's no service that Hunter Biden has provided to any of them. There's no product. So they're sending them money for a reason. That in and of itself is indicative of the fact that they were getting things in return. And as we've seen in the in the case with Ukraine and Burisma, and I think we're going to see in the case involving some of the Chinese entities, there are very specific policy actions that Joe Biden took that benefited the very specific companies and people that were sending money to his son. So it was triangulation. But again, that's the way it's done in the third world. And 
Brian, unless we are prepared to say it's going to be okay in America in any future administration for the Secretary of Defense, the President, the Vice President, for their family to be taking multi-million dollar payments from foreign entities with no legitimate service provided in return, that's where we're headed with this. I mean, if they are going to defend this conduct by the Bidens and say there's nothing wrong, that has got to be the future of America. And I'm horrified at the thought of that. So do you, was, I want you to hear this exchange, which I'm sure you've seen before. Cut one. There's this testimony now where one of your son's former business associates is claiming that you were on speakerphone a lot with them, talking business. Is that what? I've never talked business in anyway. And I, I know you'd have a lousy question. Well, what do you, it's, why is that a lousy question? Because it's not true. So your, your response to his response. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just comical. I think, honestly, the only thing more comical uh, in my mind, and I, I mean comical not in the sense that it's silly, but that it's also tragic, uh, has been the response to the mainstream media. Um, you know, they have been repeatedly lied to, as Joe Biden again did in that case, where he said, oh, it's not true, uh, is, you know, the mainstream media has just not picked this story up at all. And it reminds me of those tragic cases, Brian, of basically of spousal abuse, where you hear somebody is beat by their spouse and the victim continues to make excuses. Oh, no, 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 they didn't mean it. Or, oh, no, no, it's going to be better next time. That's really where the mainstream media is with Joe Biden, because you would think there would be enough self-respect that as Joe Biden has lied to them at least half a dozen on half a dozen elements of this story, and they continue to just regurgitate what they're told, you would think that that would change. And that, to me, is probably the biggest tragedy right now. We do not have a media that appears interested in actually investigating the most powerful man in the world. And that's what their job is supposed to be. Fresh off the ridiculous investigation, the Russian investigation, that ruined so many lives, careers, got Paul Manafort put in prison. Uh, Jared Kushner thought he was going to be arrested any day, knowing they didn't do anything wrong. This isn't so. And and Peter, what you're not saying is, well, the president spoke to his dad the same day that Hunter got this money. No, no. He called into the meeting and if he didn't meet with them face to face, he had called in on speakerphone to let his presence be known in these meetings as attested to by Hunter Biden's business partner, not a third party. And by the way, yeah. on, the, on, the, on this, another note to keep an eye on, I can't bring you to the inner workings of the Ukrainian government and election system. But this Shoykin guy that got fired by President Biden, fire the prosecutor, you don't get your billion dollars. He spoke out last week. And he said the only reason he got fired was Joe Biden. He was coming after Burisma and going after Devin Archer as well as Hunter Biden's place on that company. And he said it's totally not true that the IMF and UK wanted him off. He blames it from his mouth through a translator on Joe Biden. That has not gotten steam yet. Yeah. You know, the media was all out in 2019 when the story first developed. Uh, that, oh, no, 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 there's nothing true here. Um, you know, the, the prosecutor was on his way out. So everybody wanted him out. Uh, that's clearly not true. And now we have specifically two things. We have the videotape that we've seen, all seen, about Joe Biden bragging about getting the prosecutor fired. And we now have the business partner of Hunter Biden, Devin Archer, saying that Hunter and Burisma executives called Joe Biden specifically about these prosecutors. I don't know how that is compelling evidence. And, and here's the other thing we have to factor uh, in mind as it relates to, relates to current foreign policy. I mean, to be clear, 
I am very supportive. We need to support the Ukrainians in their fight to freedom against uh, Russia. It's a Russian invasion, and we need to protect them. But let's keep in mind that F-1023 document where the head of Burisma is you know, explaining to the confidential informant how he's given the Bidens $10 million in bribes. That's his claim. In the F-1023, there's an individual at that meeting identified who is described as an aide to President Zelensky. So if this actually happened, we have a circumstance where the Ukrainian government, because I'm sure this guy told everybody in the Ukrainian government if this happened, we have a situation where the Ukrainian government knows that this uh, alleged bribe took place. And they're not going to be using that somehow to extract extra benefits from this president and this administration. This is why bribery is so bad. It corrodes the trust in government, but it also affects the decision-making. Politicians want to cover things up and hide things up because they're vulnerable. And we have to recognize that is a very distinct possibility as it comes to policy towards Ukraine right now with Joe Biden. So, Peter, from what you know, uh, to get us more information, who would be next that you would call? Um, you know, uh, Eric Schwerin is probably going to be next, and I think that's a good call. Uh, you know, Devin Archer was really the architect of the, the, the business structure. He's the one guy who kind of is, was adult supervision in the sense of he actually had worked in international finance. So Devin Archer's first. Eric Schwerin's the guy that moved the money around. In the, in the Hunter Biden laptop, he's the one that is contacting Hunter about payments, about taxes. He's also, by the way, the one in the emails that's talking about to Hunter, hey, your dad had renovations done on his home in Delaware. We need to pay those bills. So he is the the money guy. And I have heard distinctly from two people in that circle uh, that Schwerin and uh, Hunter Biden had a massive falling out over personal reasons in 2019. Uh, And the reports, at least earlier this year from House Oversight, is that he has been cooperating with the committee. So I think it's going to be Eric Schwerin. I think there's a couple of other business partners that they can call. And then, as prosecutors usually do, they work their way into the middle. And then I think probably by the fall, we are going to be seeing Hunter Biden, James Biden, maybe Frank Biden uh, called in uh, to testify uh, under oath uh, before this committee. As was brought brought up to me, Don Jr. had to testify for nine hours. Yeah. Uh, so exactly. well, don't tell me that uh, that Hunter Biden is is beyond reproach. That about uh, the the links to Russia that didn't exist. We know these links exist. We know your laptop is real. You knew it was real the whole time. And ex- this is going to be one of the greatest cover ups ever. That almost everybody lied about something they knew, including the FBI, that that laptop was real and everything on it was authentic. And the FBI knew about it in 2019. And who would ever think? that you could shelve all social media and mass media in order for Joe Biden to get that election through. Eight months later, they go, yeah, you're right. We shouldn't have suspended your account, and the laptop was real. It's been unbelievable what we're witnessing. Yeah, yeah, it is, Brian. And look, I'm one of those people who said, look, a lot of the coverage of Trump was terrible by the media. It was just wrong. It was inaccurate. But that's the media's job. That's what they're supposed to do. Uh, what they have done is compounded their initial error and problem of, you know, following this sort of fake dossier on the Trump story. They have compounded that problem by now refusing to cover this story. And it's going to be very interesting when Hunter Biden testifies. I mean, one of his certain uh, one of his options certainly is to just continue to plead the fifth. But I think the question that needs to be asked from him front and center is, 
What did you get that money for? Because in the few times he has talked about this, uh, Brian, his answers are absurd. You know, remember when the committee showed the $1.25 million that came from a Chinese company? His comment was, Brian, that that was good faith seed money is what he described it as. as. Is it some kind of good faith seed money for the business? Well, it didn't go to the business. It was distributed to Biden family members who weren't even involved in the business. So it just doesn't carry weight. Uh, and my hope is that we are going to eventually see the mainstream media uh, break on this. My, my view is it's kind of like you're getting into a boat off of a dock and the boat starts drifting away. This story is building and building and building and your legs start you know, spreading apart. You got to decide, are you going to stay on the dock or are you going to get in the boat? And I think we're going to see some mainstream media outlets get in the boat because they have so damaged their credibility. Their brand, I think, is more important to them ultimately uh, than their commitment mm. to Joe Biden. You're more optimistic than me. They keep on doing this now. <laughs> They're saying Hunter Biden, uh, for example, Jake Tapper last night. Uh, now, would Hunter Biden, do you think to Elizabeth Warren, do you think Hunter Biden doing these business deals was ethical, even though it has no links to his father? They always have that addendum and they always want to make yeah. him the drug addict. Everyone's got someone addicted in their family. It's nothing to do with that. How many addicts do you know leave Skid Row and go to China with other business partners and walk out with millions? Obviously, yeah. he was a little different. <laughs> Well, he was. And let's remember, Brian, they are now arguing the exact opposite of what Team Biden argued four or five years ago. Four or five years ago, it was, of course, Hunter deserved these millions from Burisma because he's a Yale trained attorney and he's a professional and he's adding. And he so rode the train. Value. Yes. And now and now they are completely reversing it and saying, no, he was just this adult drug addict who didn't know what he was doing. So they can't even get their story right there. And look, Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is whatever you want to say about Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden started these businesses. He had been a lobbyist when his father was a senator. He'd been a lobbyist on behalf of Delaware-based entities lobbying his own father. So this is the history that's there. It was when Joe Biden became vice president of the United States, only after that, a couple of months later, that Hunter Biden and Devin Archer and others started this international finance business. No background in it, uh, no history in it. He only started it right after his father became vice president of the United States. How are you going to tell me uh, that his father had no connection to the business? It's at the origin. It's the beginning of this company. And you find throughout, as I've highlighted and John Solomon and others have reported, it's highlighted throughout the actions. I mean, by 2011, two years after he starts this business with no capital and nobody involved, within two years, there were pictures of Hunter Biden standing in China with the equivalent in the United States of the Secretary of Treasury, the head of the Federal Reserve, the head of J.P. Morgan, Citibank, uh, you name it. He's meeting with 11 of the top financial officials in China, this guy who has done no deals. So, you know, you know, it's a ridiculous premise, and I think we need to have that conversation, and it's going to be increasingly untenable for Democrats to argue it because I still have enough faith that uh, the American people are going to see through their explanation. And remember the card on the front page of the New York Post. Uh, so sorry, I couldn't get rid of – I couldn't get away from President Who at the, at the party to Devin Archer. <laughs> and a P.S. Uh, uh, P.S. I'm so glad you're working with my son Hunter. 
So I thought he knew nothing about his president's his son's overseas business dealings. He just wrote it out. So it's incredible. Uh, thanks. So, yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Peter. Just, I appreciate your work. It must have been frustrating uh, watching people ignore it. And now they're finally paying attention to it. Well, thanks, Brian. And you were there at the beginning. So thank you for uh, moving it along. No problem. Uh, Peter Schweitzer, great job. one 408 7669. I'll be able to squeeze in some calls on the back end. You're listening to an exciting hour on Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. This whole gender neutral pronoun is confusing for me. Let me tell you a story. I invited a friend to have dinner at my house the other day. And he was like, oh, I'm bringing a friend. And I said, of course, bring him. And he was like, no, 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 no. Bring them. <laughs> so I bought a lot of food. <laughs> I bought briskets and pizzas and pastas. And my friend showed up at my house with one person. So I said, where are they? And he said, they are here. <laughs> So you tell them <laughs> that they are going to eat all of this <laughs> food. That's uh, crazy. And it's pretty sad when a news story read verbatim and adhered to comes with a punchline. The setup is a punchline and the punchline is a punchline. And the reality is that's the reality we're pretending to be in now is if the pronouns make sense. Do not subscribe to this promo stuff. It's not a matter of, like, how you feel about uh, people who have evolved on same-sex marriage or whatever it is. This is not one of those things that you should ever accept. It is farcical. It is dumb. Uh, let's go out to uh, Dick in Pennsylvania. Hey, Dick. Hey, Brian. Uh, Dick Cronister. Um, wondering if there was any connection between Hunter's information that he was giving to China and Burisma and Ukraine. And maybe the documents that were next to Joe Biden's Corvette in his garage. Now, I've heard that before, but we don't know anything because Robert Hur has not told us anything. He has the quietest investigation ever. I mean, they're raiding Mar-a-Lago, taking his Twitter account down, uh, going into uh, Bedminster, all these leaks that we're witnessing. Nothing from Robert Hur, and they got four separate locations to go through. Right, two homes, the Penn Center. And his lawyer's place, not a word. But I'm going to keep my ears and eyes open about that, Dick, see if there's a link. Because I've been surprised throughout this whole process, uh, including the three indictments and the fourth one that's coming. You're listening to Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget to watch One Nation coming up Saturday night, 8 o'clock. Jordan Peterson will be amongst our guests. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, the capital of the legal immigrants, where we have more than anybody else. New York doesn't sleep because uh, they never stop partying uh, and creating havoc on the streets. It's a different reason. And, um, we also have a lot of optimism with the New York sports teams. I'm watching Hard Knocks. Are you watching that uh, by any chance, Allison? Are you, Eric? I watched the first episode. I have, ne- by the way, Aaron Rodgers, unbelievably charismatic. It's hard to imagine him not having this huge career afterwards. Uh, Barkley-esque. Even though he's not flamboyant. But uh, I never remember a time after, 
probably the Bill Parcells era with the Jets. I think the Giants were solid back then. But besides that, the 80s, late 80s, they both made the playoffs for the first time in about 15 years, where people have been more optimistic about the Jets not being good but being great. And I just think that uh, it's just so interesting to see that happen with the Jets. It's almost the Jets have, have won Super Bowl, and it was 1969. We landed on the moon that year. I haven't been back. Uh, so we'll talk about that maybe a little bit less than I, uh, a little bit less than I thought. This hour, we're going to be joined by Paul Sperry. Uh, he's a senior reporter of Real Clear Investigations, and he's pointing out how the mainstream media is now backtracking on everything they told us in 2020 without acknowledging that they were not telling us the truth. For example, Glenn Kessler with the Washington Post. Speaking of the Washington Post, let's bring in Mark Thiessen, former chief speechwriter for President uh, Bush, Washington Post columnist, best-selling author, Fox News contributor. Mark, welcome back. Good to be with you. So, Mark, man, so much has happened. I didn't talk to you before. I, I didn't talk to you since I got back from Italy. So mm-hmm. to talk to you again is certainly encouraging. I just got encouraging. back from Poland. <laughs> you just got back from Poland. What were you doing there? Uh, I was there with my family. So I went to take them uh, to teach them about communism. So we went up to Gdansk to, the, uh, to where, where the Solidarity Movement was born, and we met Lech Wałęsa. Uh, we toured the Lenin shipyard, and we, uh, we learned about the fall of communism. That is a that's something you don't get on many brochures. No, uh, when you go to your local travel package agent. store, it was the, it was the uh, it was the upgrade, the well, upgrade plan. Well, that is fantastic. <laughs> How is Lech Valenza? He's doing great. I mean, he's he's you know he's the last living guy from that. You know, if you think back, Reagan, Thatcher, John Paul II, Vaclav Havel. He's the last living guy from that era, and he's 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 vibrant. He's you know uh, he's uh, he's he's the same Lech Valenza you remember. Uh, yeah, pretty impressive. Uh, and yep. also, was he part of the collaboration with the Pope to help bring that, uh, bring communism down? Oh, a hundred percent. He was he was very close to Pope John Paul II, and uh, and uh, you know he I mean he was the guy. I mean he literally is the guy who brought down communism because Solidarity was you know that 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 little shipyard in the in the, in the Baltic port is where the chip that brought the whole edifice down started with the rise of the Solidarity Movement. And then he became the first president of a free Poland. Uh, his presidency wasn't as successful as his uh, opposition to communism, but uh, he's, uh, he's just an amazing person with an amazing legacy. And he's the guy who drove the, uh, drove, forced all the Russian troops out of Polish territory. And as he pointed out, now they're back in Ukraine. And uh, he, he loves Zelensky because uh, he says both of us are not poli- we're not politicians. I'm a worker. He's a comedian. Uh, and somehow we ha- we see things better than a lot of the people who are politicians. And if you did make that trip and you understand what went on with the Cold War and World War Two and World War One, you don't have any hesitancy to understand it's important you back Ukraine. That doesn't mean it yeah. shouldn't be accountability. Doesn't mean yep. tactics don't matter. Doesn't mean I approve of the slow walking of necessary weapon system. But the yep. concept of supporting a democracy, as imperfect as it is, used to be a no brainer. Yeah, for for us who lived through that, who remember that, it's like Cold War muscle memory. It's like, okay, you know, yeah, I get it. The the, the Russians are bad. And uh, and the Ukrainians are the good guys. And what we did in the Cold War is we provided aid to the good guys. Uh, Ronald Reagan, it was the Reagan doctrine. You know, it wasn't just helping solidarity in Poland. It was helping the Contras in Nicaragua. It was helping the uh, the uh, Afghan freedom fighters bring down the Soviet uh, military. It was helping uh, the UNITA rebels in Angola. It was helping the uh, the uh, the uh, pro-American governments in Central America uh, who were fighting communist insurgencies. This was the, we. This is you know we learned in the night. You know, because Reagan came into office after. After Vietnam, right? And no one wanted to send U.S. troops around the world to to uh, to fight and die. 
uh, to fight communism. So he had to come up with a different strategy. And the strategy he came up with was there are people around the world who are willing to fight their own wars of liberation. They just need help. They just need uh, diplomatic support, military support, and weapons and training. Uh, and we gave it to them, and we brought down communism. We brought down the Soviet Union without Americans getting killed in a cataclysmic war. And so that that playbook is still there. You know, it's like it's like you're just talking about the Jets, right? Okay, so you know, Aaron Rodgers, pick up the pick up the playbook that Willie Joe Namath was using, and uh, and and uh, and uh, and bring us the Super Bowl. <laughs> Right. It's the same thing. We got we got the playbook. Reagan gave us the playbook. Uh, uh, yeah. All we got to do is implement it. You know, let's do it a little bit more modern. How about Montana's? Uh, because the 80s. Uh, that's when he dominated. Joe Montana would certainly help. OK, not, there not you the go. State. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. So, Mark, so let's move forward. Before I talk about what you read, made a lot of headlines about, you know how passionate uh, I am about where we left Afghanistan. Not a day goes by where you don't think about it and just your eye yep. gets red with rage. Think about the, the men and women who have committed suicide since, wondering if their sacrifice was worth it, their mental anguish, the mental stability that they left behind in that country uh, because of the way we left it made it seem so worthless. It wasn't, but it seems that way. But I will get to that in a moment. Uh, what we now know about what the Bidens were up to is even worse than Peter Schweitzer wrote about that's been talked about in Miranda Devine's Laptop from Hell as these things come together and you see a direct link between the money that goes to Hunter's ridiculous business right before or after meetings with the future president of the United States, then vice president, what does Mark Thiessen conclude so far? You know, I, we're, the, the committee is coming up with lots of information. What they're doing is brilliant, which is they're following the money and they're following the bank accounts. Um, and Hunter created this web of, of banks and bank accounts that's very hard to unravel. Um, but that in and of itself is an admission of wrongdoing, because if you're an honest per- businessman and you're doing business and you're providing a service in exchange for a uh, for a, uh, uh, you know, for, for payment, you just send somebody an invoice and they send it to your bank account and boom, you're done. You don't need a web of bank accounts. So there's already proof of money laundering just by the existence of all this. And they're they're sort of piecing together where the money tra- traveled, which is which is great, but it's a lot of hard work. And they made it in t- complicated intentionally because it's hard for people to follow, right? And then, uh, you know, you're, they're starting to uncover this stuff, like this, the, the, the wife of the, uh, the, the widow of the mayor of Moscow, uh, who, you know, right after the first Ukrainian invasion, when she was worried about getting sanctioned, she started moving money to the West and started paying off Hunter Biden. And soon after that, uh, you know, she has she has reporting to Devin Archer has attends two dinners with which Joe Biden attended, according to Devin Archer's testimony. And somehow in this new invasion of Ukraine, the wealthiest woman in in uh, in, in Russia, a Putin crony, someone who in the WikiLeaks cables, the State Department cables that were that were released is tied to organized crime. According to that, she didn't get sanctioned. How is that? I mean, I and 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 then Comer writes a letter to Janet Yellen asking why wasn't she sanctioned, and he doesn't even reply, and she doesn't even reply. I mean, at a bare minimum, they've got to they've got to explain why wasn't she sanctioned. What is the public policy reason why she was the wealthiest woman, Putin crony, was not on the sanctioned list? Uh, because it uh, it's it's uh, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence here showing that. First, Joe Biden lied twice. He said he never met with Hunter Biden's business associates. He apparently met with her, and there was no benefit given to anybody. Well, it seems like not being sanctioned uh, is, is, is a benefit. That is part of it. Uh, China, uh, the deals that were done, the way he was trading on his son, the way he was trading on his dad's name, cut five. Yeah. Here's John Solomon. 
what James Comer has done is followed the money, then put a timeline together. It is very clear as what's going. Hunter Biden was selling access to his father. There's nothing his father can say tonight. He went to the dinners. He got on the phone calls. It wasn't the illusion of access. It was access. And if you have any doubt, we can just maybe send this over to Congressman Goldman tomorrow. There's an email from Vadim Pazarsky, the Ukraine Burisma official, who said, great seeing your dad last night. That is an illusion. Actually, he saw Joe Biden at the dinner. He stayed for the whole dinner, by the way. And, you know, it's just amazing. With all the people he could be doing deals with, why don't we deal do deals with France, Spain, uh, England, <laughs> right? Scotland. You know, why don't you just do a deal with Ireland? You know, there's plenty of investment opportunities for a guy that was on the board of Amtrak uh, that tried to join the military, lasted a day, that obviously was has a law degree, the smartest man Joe Biden's done. Why not just go up to one of the Churchill kids and say, guys, you have anything? That, you know, we are royalty in America, like you're royalty there. Anything I can invest in? Why are they going to the corners of Kazakhstan and a because- tumultuous Ukraine? Do a controversial energy company. Why is it necessary, Mark? Because all of the countries you just named have some version of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which would make it illegal to hire the, a foreign leader's son in order to obtain uh, business benefits, right? This, this would set off alarm bells in France or in, or in some of these other countries uh, or in Ireland and all the rest of it. In Kazakhstan, no problem, right? In China, no problem. Uh, in Ukraine, Back then, no problem. In Russia, no problem. So, you know, you're, the reason you're doing it is because these are countries where bribery is normal, right? Uh, this, is, this, is where, uh, this is where this is done as a, as a normal business practice. And so that's why they're doing business with all those countries. And also because those countries, the businessmen in France and Italy really don't need uh, Joe Biden's help. They're doing actual legitimate business. <laughs> and they don't need Hunter, they don't need Hunter Biden. Uh, they don't need the stupid right. son of a of a of a once and future leader uh, to grease the skids for them because they're actually good performing a service good, and good getting answer. paid for it. Uh, so so this this week we had uh, <laughs> this week we watched all those uh, family members that lost a loved one and the explosion at Abbey Gate, yeah. let alone those wounded and the 200 plus Afghans that lost their lives and the seven that have committed suicide since. And you believe watching this, understanding what we know now about the decision making as it goes right up to Joe Biden, you think that could cost him the nomination or reelection? I think it, I think it could cost him reelection. And, I, and here's why. I think actually Afghanistan, if Joe Biden loses, it will be because of Afghanistan and not because people are going into the voting booth thinking about Afghanistan and say, boy, you know, that was the worst foreign policy debacle ever. I got to throw this guy out of office. It's because what happened in Afghanistan, if you look at Joe Biden's polls, before the Afghan withdrawal, he was a, he was above 50 percent approval in the country. People basically, the majority of Americans thought he was doing a good job as president. Um, and then after that, it dipped below 50 percent for the first time, and it never recovered. And that disapproval spread not just to foreign policy, not just to Afghanistan, but to his economic policy, to his border policy, to, to his cr- policies on crime, to his policies on everything. And why is that? Is because people looked and they saw two things in Joe Biden in that in that in that uh, Afghan Afghan withdrawal. One, he lied to them. He said to them it was a success when everybody knew it wasn't a success. He said that nobody told none of the military leaders told him that we should have kept troops when we now know that was a lie. So you don't when you lie to people, 
they stop believing you when you say so when you when you lie about Afghanistan, you're lying about the economy, too. You're lying about the border. You're lying about everything. They just don't trust them. And second of all, the polls show significant numbers of Americans decided Joe Biden is incompetent. And when they decide you're incompetent on one thing, it, it's not it's not selective. They mean they they assume you're incompetent in everything you're doing. And so America, that that mark that Afghanistan left is indelible and it colors everything else he has done in the two years since then and everything he will do in the year ahead. And so the Americans are not giving him the benefit of the doubt. They don't approve of him. They think he's incompetent. And ultimately, that's why he's in danger of losing the presidency. I think he's in danger with 34 percent approval on the economy, yet he's running yeah. on it. I think it's just yeah. bizarre. I think, yeah. you know what I like to see, Mark? I want to, you know, you want to debate on tax cuts, even health care. I'll debate on health care. That's like, OK, we have different views. But when you do things that are against our country's best interests, like stopping uranium mining uh, in and around the Grand Canyon and act as if you're, you know, that is absolutely necessary, knowing that it's going to mean we have to buy more from our enemies, which are now uh, controlled by uh, China and Africa and by Russia itself. When you allow our oil reserves to be depleted and have no plans to replenish when you know that we're getting lower on artillery and you don't have no plans to ramp it up and pick it up, when you know China's doubling our ship capacity and uh, ship total and you don't, you know it takes us six years to build a ship, you've done nothing to streamline the process. I mean, you're talking about energy security for our national security and you've done nothing to but make us more reliant on people that we can't trust. And I put the Saudis in that category. This is stuff that's against our country's best interest. And I ask you, why is he doing this? So here's the thing. I This is qualitatively different than the other stuff. So think about this. If you care more about the climate, if you think that the climate is an existential threat and you care more about that than energy independence, I can see a logic behind banning it, drilling for oil and gas. It's wrong. It's a mistake. But it makes logical sense. If you care about the climate, why would you ban drilling uranium ore <laughs> for nuclear power, which is green energy, clean energy? If you, if you, you're tr- this this administration wants us all to drive electric cars, but they but they are banning the mining of uranium ore to power nuclear power plants to give us clean green electricity. So what is the result? We got to use more coal. <laughs> right, we got to use more fossil fuels for the for the to, to power our electricity, which means that basically your Tesla is a coal powered car. So it makes no sense. Right from a climate, if you are a if you are one of these you know climate nuts who thinks the climate is the most important thing and the world is coming to an end, you should be pushing for more uranium uh, or extraction. And what about and, the rare earth mining that's in Minnesota? So they that- don't want to. They want to ban all mining. In the U.S., they don't want uranium ore to be mined. They don't want rare earth mining. And so what does that mean? Where are we going to get all these things? We're going to get them from Russia. We're going to get them from China. China is buying up all the all the mines in Africa so that we have to get it from that. So that even if we're getting it from Africa, we're getting it from China. You know, we need lithium. We need we need rare earths. It's just and it's anti-American. It, it makes no sense. I, it thank you. Those, it's like the five-year plans in the in the old Soviet Union in communist Poland, where where a bunch of people sit around a table who are idiots and decide to plan our economy for us and screw it up. Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Next time, bring me to Poland for your communist tour. Many times. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Bottom of the hour, Paul Sperry. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade show. It's Brian Kilmeade.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Uh, Paul Sperry is coming up shortly, covering a series of things. I not ta- I have not talked about the Trump case. The one thing that absolutely I find unbelievably disturbing, I admit to you, I've never done a high-level prosecution of a former president. Guilty as charged. But now it turns out that in January, Jack Smith was determined to get a hold of Donald Trump's dormant Twitter account, which I found bizarre because everything is public, right? Number one. Number two is the only thing you could say that's private is DMs, direct messages. Uh, But I asked everybody that's been tight with Trump that I know, no one's ever got a direct message from Trump. In fact, he just recently started texting. He knows an email. He just calls. So that's why you have recordings. But I got to give Twitter credit. When the government asked and said, I need Donald Trump's Twitter account, they said no under Elon Musk. I love it. Just like he said he would. He goes, if you if you give me your private information, I will keep it. So then they took him to court and they lost. And they found, they find, and I don't understand how you could do this. They find... Twitter, $350,000 for not cooperating for the subpoena. But you're about to protest the subpoena. You have a company that prides itself on containing and and uh, being trustworthy when it comes to personal information. You you can't just give it up to anyone who asks, even if it is the federal government. I give must credit again. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. In retrospect, was anything about those relationships inappropriate or unethical? Nothing was unethical. Here's what the deal. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about, uh, what are you talking about, China. I have not had it. The only guy made money from China is this guy. He's the only one. Nobody else has made money from China. So that is Joe Biden lying. Lying on the debate stage against Donald Trump, who was flabbergasted. He could not believe it. Not that Joe Biden wouldn't lie, but that he would just say, we know you made money from China. We got the laptop. That's where your initial investment was. That's where your meeting was. That's how you flew over an Air Force, too. These are the people you met with. You were talking about how one disappeared. The, the energy company that you were linked to goes rightly directly to the Chinese Communist Party that got you into their Belt and Road program, which is the most anti-American program out there today. Uh, and guess what? Everybody covered for him. Everybody, nobody uh, questioned him. And the ones that did get questioned quickly got what we now know is responses back that were not based on fact. And that really incensed, it seems, or spurred Paul Sperry to act, senior reporter for Real Clear Investigations, New York Post uh, columnist. And I read your column today, Paul, fortunate to have uh, you on the show. You, you, Glenn Kessler came out and made some news. And he fact-checked and said, the laptop is real, and he fact-checked and said the president did know about the president's, uh, his son's overseas business dealings. Is that significant to you? You know, the the Washington Post was part of the cover-up in that um, 2020, one of the most consequential stories of the 2020 election, which was the Hunter Biden laptop. So we combed through uh, after Devin Archer's um, testimony this is uh, Hunter Biden's uh, business partner, old business partner. We combed through Archer's transcript and compared it to fact checker Glenn Kessler of the Washington Post, his stories back in 2020, and then he had a revised one um, in 2021, and um, he was trying to debunk the laptop and the meetings 
with uh, the the Burisma benefactor for Hunter at in, in, in a Georgetown restaurant. And we found he was dead wrong on the facts. He was supposedly checking. I mean, Vice President Joe Biden did, in fact, attend the Cafe Milano dinner with his son in 2015. And Hunter's Burisma benefactor, this guy, Vadim Pozharsky, uh, was, in fact, there at the table with Joe Biden. So we sent the relevant passages from Archer's testimony to the Post, and we asked uh, its communications chief if the paper still stands behind Kessler's story. This was last week. Uh, and it, late later that day, late, you know, after deadline, uh, of course, we hear back from her, and she says that uh, we are updating the story, uh, which is to say they were correcting it without actually having to say they were correcting it, admitting they were wrong. Uh, again, one of the most consequential stories of the 2020 election. But the damage is done now, Brian. I mean, I mean, uh, all this revision. Uh, to their stories, it's all too little too late uh, because they misinformed voters ahead of the November 2020 presidential election and continued to mislead the public uh, deep into the Biden presidency. As did the Biden spokespeople. So they come back, no, there was no meeting. There was a drop. First, there was no meeting. Then there was a drop by. Uh, Nothing to do with that. And and you just heard what Joe Biden said. My son never made any money from China. He knew damn well they made money from China. At that time, he knew. And to think that 51 Intel experts would sign off on this is still unfathomable. And believe it or not, Leon Panetta last week said he has no regrets about signing on to that, which means his integrity means nothing to him. So so when The Washington Post signs on on and their fact checker checks his facts, it turns out, Paul, you know what he does to check his facts? He just calls Democrats. He just calls Democrats and says, is it true or not? That's right. And that's where the fact checking ends. Yeah, that's who he trusts. And that's who he goes with, uh, despite having contradictory in this case, documentary evidence uh, contemporaneously. He he had emails and text messages, everything the New York Post had, and he went with the the spin from the from the Biden camp. And by the way, the Washington Post has essentially been helping the FBI and the intelligence community. You mentioned the 51 uh, intel, former intelligence officials uh, helping them interfere in these elections. So. Uh, we found out they they wrote this false story about a 2016 Trump campaign aide uh, that we found out the FBI used to help justify continuing to spy on, on that Trump aide as a Russian collaborator. Um, Carter Page. It, yeah, Carter Page. I mean, they actually, underneath these redactions, they still have it partially classified, the um, application. So the FBI has to apply for these so-called FISA warrants to wiretap people. And they wiretapped the Trump campaign. And in order to continue to, you know, to renew these wiretaps that expire every 90 days, they have to come up with some fresh corroboration or new information. And so in the second uh, renewal, they actually cited a false Washington Post story. We found out that this is this is all covered up by Christopher Ray and these redactions to that application. And um uh, they convinced, uh, basically defrauded the the FISA court. Um, you know, they they all knew that this this was a phony story that uh, the Washington Post had done, but it helped them uh, because they need they were desperate to get some new facts out. That the Reader's Digest version of this is so. Uh, there's this this uh, Trump supporter by the name of Sergey Millian. Now the Washington Post accused this guy of being a source for the dossier. Uh, but he wasn't actually a source. Uh, 
Special Counsel John Durham proved that. Uh, now, that's embarrassing enough for the Post, but it's even more embarrassing uh, for the FBI because the FBI actually used that Post story, which they later had to retract, to help confirm the dossier. Um, in which order we to know continue. is a piece of fiction. Yes. So, so here you have, uh, in the case of the dossier, the, the, the Washington Post turning fiction, <laughs> pure fiction, into fact. And in the case of the laptop, the Washington Post is turning fact into fiction. See, I don't think it's too late, Paul. This is why your story is important and what you did with the Washington Post is essential is because he's still running. And, he, and he's not been called out on this. He got away with this. And you know the stats that read, and I don't know how it's a poll, but they say 14% of the American public might have changed their vote if they thought that the, the information on that laptop was real and that Joe Biden was, family was involved with these overseas business operations. So that, and when you see thousands of votes really flip Georgia and Arizona and Wisconsin, you realize it really would have mattered had people known that Joe Biden was perfectly comfortable staring in the camera and lying to you and saying, meanwhile, he knew damn well it was his son's laptop and all the information was real. He had no problem telling you it wasn't. That, to me, is scary. And I think the American people want to know the truth this time. Yeah, and, you know, the Washington – it all starts with the media. You know, if you, you, if you have a corrupt media, you can't get to the bottom of corrupt public corruption, which is their job. And, you know, this was a material benefit to the, to the Biden campaign. Um, but what the Post did is, you know, pretty much par for the course because the entire Washington press course is ignoring evidence of Biden family influence peddling and corruption, excuse me, uh, which uh, has really had a, a chilling effect on criminal investigations. I mean, media coverage in, in, inside the Beltway is what drives investigations into public corruption, you know, in, in Washington, uh, as well as the appointment of independent prosecutors when there is a, a political conflict. Uh, as is the case right now with the, the Biden-controlled Justice Department looking into the Biden family. Uh, <laughs> or not so, looking into the Biden family. Yeah. Right. And by the way, this is the other thing, Paul, just because you're the investigator. But I read this and I see 2.7 million, 1.2 million, 3 million here. And I'm wondering, where is this money? Like, where, where is it? He, this, you know, after a five-year investigation, Hunter needs to pay $100,000. Really? $100,000. What about the other millions in these shell companies? Where did the money go? The guy's evidently broke, has to have benefactors house him and give him his cigarettes. He has to live in the White House as a war to the country. Where is the money? Are you talking about the 100000 uh, Yeah. So, is, so Hunter is, Biden made some money and never declared it. The Burisma income. Yeah. So they found out after a five-year investigation, he owes 100000 He owes right. much well, more than that because he no, never declared right. the other you're, stuff. You're absolutely right. The 100000 is a threshold in the statute. You have to you have to um, get past that threshold for it to be uh, uh, an enforceable, yeah, yeah enforceable uh, violation. But he actually owed the IRS something like 2.2 million, and then he didn't. He still has not paid that off. His buddy in Hollywood, this lawyer friend of his, the guy who was smoking the bong on the balcony, yep, when he visited there, this Hollywood lawyer, he paid that off for for Biden. And the, the judge at his arraignment or his uh, pleading um, asked him about it, and he said, and she, and he says, oh, that's a, that's a loan, that's a conventional loan. I have to pay him back. Well, she didn't dive down deeper into that. He it's a defer. He doesn't have to pay that back until I think the terms on the on the agreement were until late in 2025. So that's the equivalent of a 
because this guy was a big backer of Joe Biden's yeah. presidency, the lawyer, that's equivalent of a FEC gift that needs to be – that's a whole other investigation that needs to be investigated that's not being investigated. And right now we're going to see what this other plea deal is, whether it's his gun lying in his gun application or his foreign business dealings. Does that matter? He was out doing stuff that they put Paul Manafort in solitary confinement for doing, and that is for, – For not being a registered agent with the – registering with the Department of Justice is representing – uh, foreign governments and foreign entities. Yeah, so we're, we're looking at something here, and I just go back to the fact that your your articles are important. Number one, to get to the truth, period. But he is no, he's not term limited out. Uh, he's going for four more. And whether you think Trump is an angel or uh, uh, or evil, they're going after him uh, with a vero- uh, ferocity I have not seen. And now we find out they're going to his Twitter account, which I thought was public, by the way. Uh, they're going into Mar-a-Lago, what they've done with the raid, what they've done now about to be a fourth indictment. This is going to probably be January 6th related in Georgia. One, is the contrasts are impossible to ignore. And I, I wonder if you think that's applicable here. Well, I agree with you that it's important to stay on uh, these stories, including the, the Spygate story that um, John Durham never got to the bottom of it because – he missed this. So did Horowitz, that uh, the FBI was citing, referring to uh, a false Washington Post story to, to corroborate uh, their dossier uh, in order to continue spying on the presidential campaign and presidency of Donald Trump. Yep. I mean, they, they both missed that. Uh, they didn't reveal that in either of their reports. And um, so it's important to get to the bottom of what the FBI did and um, – and you wonder if they're – and it looks like they're, they're, nothing's really changed. Because well, I mean, just, if they, yeah, I mean if they, if they could railroad and frame Trump, which is what they did with the Russiagate hoax, I mean bottom line, uh, then they could be railroading and framing him now with some of these uh, vexatious indictments and, and prosecutions. So it just speaks to just what they're capable of. And I would say this, and I think I can go one step further. In some cases, they would plant the story, leak the story to Mother Jones or to the Washington Post – and then use that uh, th- those press reports to help get a Pfizer application renewed. Yeah, it's circular evidence. They did with that with the Yahoo News story by uh, Michael Isakoff. Uh, you know, the source turned out to be for that story was Christopher Steele, and the FBI said, "Well, we're going to cite this as is uh, corroborative evidence um, but that what Steele said in this dossier we're using." Uh, is verified. Well, no, it's just circular evidence. So that's what they did. It's a trick that they used. And in the media, the real collusion was the media's collusion with the um, FBI, law enforcement establishment, and the intelligence community. So if you wonder why uh, Kessler uh, uh, fact-checked himself and changed it and and said uh, Joe Biden did know about his son's overseas business dealings and played a role is because you, you made the Washington Post comment and and number two, I'm very curious. Now they they're looking after Hunter and saying Hunter might have uh, breached ethics, but they say nothing really links back to the uh, to the father who's the president. Sooner or later, they're going to have to say, "Wait a second, I can't continue to go out here with a straight face, read the prompter that said the right. president did not play a role when we know the only thing that was of value in Hunter's business with Devin Archer and Eric Sherwin was his dad's influence and access." That is the product they were selling. Final thought, Paul Sperry? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the evidence already is overwhelming, and we're still getting more documentation, bank records, and everything. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's already overwhelming.
that that he knew he was he was discussing business with his son and his business partners. Um, I mean, in the case of this Chinese guy, he actually uh, they, they, the media originally said, "Oh no, he just had a handshake with him in Beijing." Well, now it turns out that, according to uh, Archer's testimony, he actually sat down with the guy for coffee. This is Joe Biden when he was vice president, and then turned around and wrote a letter of recommendation for the guys. This is guy Lee, uh, Chinese uh, partner of investor with uh, Biden with Hunter. Turned around and wrote a letter of recommendation for his daughter to Georgetown. That's Joe Biden. Right. That's Joe how, Biden. Thank you. How, how, how was he not involved with the Hunter's business partners? That's pretty involved. Uh, maybe Jake Tapper's listening right now, Paul, and he's going to give you full credit tonight. Um, Paul Sperry, thanks so much. Uh, you can always catch him on Real Clear Investigations. I pre- appreciate it, Paul. Thanks for having me. Anytime. You got it. one 408 you're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hate verbs in English. I dance, you dance, he dances. Why? Is he dancing more than me? I don't think so. 645 people dance and he dances. How much is this motherfucker dancing? So explain to me, I think it's funny, but explain to me where this comes from, Al. No, I mean, because we have no late night shows, there's nothing on. So what do you do? And you just grabbing comedy? When we find funny comedians on Instagram and they're applicable, it's generic, it's fantastic. Are we allowed to? Well, I mean, it's, it's uh, Rafi Bastos for giving him credit. I He's hilarious. Um, Taylor actually sent me one of his other jokes, and now I'm becoming obsessed. But it's funny, and it's true, and especially if it's your second language. And plus, you also love dancing, so it was sort of twofold. Right. Uh, remember, I never met a dance floor that did me any good. Yeah. And do, have you ever found that song, uh, Eric? By the way, ever since Eric said to me, you know, uh, when I first started, he goes, name some songs. Oh, actually, it was, uh, yeah, it was Eric. <laughs> Name some songs you like. So yeah. when you have bumping music, I'll know it's the type of music you like. And I realized there's no music that actually has a decent lead up before the lyrics come in. I don't know if it's a law, but I think without, what is it, 20 seconds, Eric, and you got to hear the lyrics, which screws everything up. It's right? more so with more recent music. Right. You know, there's very little instrumental. People jump right into the vocals. So, and it's almost impossible to go re-loop it, correct? If you want like a four-second loop, it'll sound kind of silly. Yeah. Right. So why I was doing this for like two years. That was my hobby. And every single time I was like, damn, that was perfect. But the guy starts singing. And especially sometimes women sing now. So <laughs> They're allowed to? I, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm going to look into that. If you could Google that Okay, later. we'll do. Right. So and, and that makes it really hard. But I, I do think, uh, what, was, what was my point about saying this? You never, the song, what, you never have a dance floor. Right. That, that would have been, I like the way that song starts. Like, do you ever hear You ever hear that song? We're going to have to go find it now. Never met a dance floor that ever did me any play, good. Yeah, play the beginning of it, all right? That, that's my favorite line. But if you play the beginning of it, I'm thinking, perfect. I'm like, this is the, it might even be a good way to start the show. Can't do it because he comes in singing. Why don't you break out your old clarinet and maybe you can do a little bit more instrumental? Right, I got to get some wax for the cork. Uh, and then we'll the be able to do right? it and put it together. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think, see, one thing about woodwind instruments, unless I know differently, if you take off for any period of time, you cannot make a sound out of it because you need to get your mouth in shape. 
So that means you have to either play an instrument or make out with someone all day. No comment. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. If you're watching the stream, you could see only uh, I was splitting the screen with just dead, uh, a lot of headroom. I had extra headroom, but now it's back. Uh, Madison Allworth is here doing a great job reporting a myriad of stories, especially the one with illegal immigrants coming into our country or migrants uh, overwhelming New York City more than anything else. A distant number two is Los Angeles. And at the bottom of the hour, Jason Chaffetz will be here uh, breaking down 2024. Um, Madison, uh, you've been spending a lot of time at Randall's Island. Why is this a national story? It's a national story, one, because the migrant crisis is a border issue. And, you know, they're being spread across the U.S. Did you ever think you'd be talking about a border issue in New York City? (laughs) No, I didn't. And I think that's why we're seeing states, cities like New York City and states like Massachusetts, frankly, freaking out because I don't think they ever expected to be dealing with a crisis of this magnitude because Massachusetts and New York City are very far from the Texas and Arizona border. So in the beginning, do you remember when uh, Mayor Adams said, "Okay, if if the governor of Texas is going to be that callous to send us illegal immigrants because we're a sanctuary city, I'll meet him at the bus. We're going to give him a nice little uh, Nike bag or or some type of bag. We're going to give him um, uh, toiletries and then we're going to send him to a hotel. I'll show you this is the way you do it. That has dramatically changed now as we're coming up on, uh, I think it's 58,000 migrants, no job, not with no mission that we know of, just here. Yeah, the current count is 57,300, 57,300 migrants that we are currently taking care of at a clip of $393, I think, per day for families. Um the daily price tag for the city right now is $9.8 million. Each day, we're spending over $9 million on the migrants. And the tune of Mayor Adams has changed dramatically from the we're going to welcome them and give them all these things. The city is now exploring two things. One, they have instated a 60-day notice for single male migrants. So if a single adult male migrant is staying in a hotel, after 60 days, they're kicked out. Very different. Male. Male. Um, they try to treat families and children By the way, differently. Where, where do they go? We cannot get any answers on that. And also, we are a sanctuary city, so we're supposed to have right to shelter, which is the second thing that the city is exploring. What I've got from my sources is that the city is exploring amending their sanctuary city status to include something around uh, citizenship or uh, New York City citizenship. When this started in the 80s, it was supposed to help down on their luck New Yorkers, maybe someone who was paying taxes, maybe paying rent in the city that found themselves homeless. Said he wanted to say, if you live here, we're not going to let you live on the streets. Now, what and it's we're turning not into. we're going to arrest you for being here illegally. Right. But now what it's turned into is anyone who can get themselves into New York City is getting guaranteed housing, health care, and services. And the city can't keep up. And Madison, what's so unbelievable is you're not talking about the, the friction that existed between the Republican President Donald Trump and the, the liberal, radical uh, liberal mayor from Portland or Mayor de Blasio, obviously, and Governor Cuomo standing. At, this is Democrat on Democrat crime. Uh, here is Mayor Eric Adams yesterday. Cut 19. The immigration system in this nation is broken. It has been broken for decades. 
Today, New York City has been left to pick up the pieces. Since last year, nearly 100,000 asylum seekers have arrived in our city asking for shelter. But we are past our breaking point. New Yorkers' compassion may be limitless, but our resources are not. So uh, right now, I don't know if you know this, I'm sure you do, that New York City is basically in debt. They are, cannot afford to pay their bills, and some of the highest taxpayers have left because of uh, the crime and various things in the length of taxes. So in three years, they expect to be forced to pay somewhere in the neighborhood of $12 billion. Can you believe that? $12 billion for three years. And that's just for the migrant crisis, not to mention all the other things that we have going on in our city. And yeah, you are right. We are losing some of our highest taxpayers, those that fund uh, you know, different programs like being a sanctuary city. And as those people leave... We continue to be burdened with debt and with expenses like this, which is why you hear, I think, Mayor Eric Adams coming out so strongly uh, about the border, kind of calling out the federal government. It seems to be somewhat working. Uh, New York has gotten the largest chunk of change from FEMA. We've gotten over $100 million from FEMA compared to other cities. That's the most out of this um, housing thing that they've set aside for the migrant crisis. But $100 million covers 13 days of the crisis. So, He's still going out there to say things like this, that we're at capacity. We need more help. We need to declare a state of emergency on a federal, national level. So I guess we got the liaison that reported. Uh, Perez, is it Tom Perez? So we're trying to get information on this. Tom Perez is a senior advisor. The liaison was supposed to be from the Department of Homeland Security. So it's unclear if Perez is the liaison or if he is just meeting with Adams, considering this very fiery speech that he gave yesterday, kind of calling out the Biden administration. So at this point, it seems like it's just a meeting. We're trying to get an understanding of why Perez is meeting with him, what they're going to be talking about. Almost guaranteed it's going to be immigration. So the great author, Idala, uh, who uh, we've had, I've had a chance to know for a while, was evidently in on the meeting. And the message that he is saying was, hey, New York, I hear you, but you're not going to get a dime until I win reelection that message from Joe Biden, then you'll get everything because it'll look like I have a failed immigration policy if I ever have to use taxpayer dollars where I'm going to get it from in order to pay for New York City to supplement their taxpayer dollars going to a crisis, which any logical person would say is of their doing. Yeah, it's a little frustrating when you see politics at play because this is a this is a humanitarian issue through and through. It's obviously a humanitarian issue for these migrants. I hear this all the time, even when I'm talking to lawmakers that are frustrated with the situation. If you're sitting in Venezuela or Africa and you're hearing, get yourself to the Mexico border. If you can get across, come to New York. They're going to give you housing, food, education for your kids if you have them. You know, if I was sitting in Venezuela, I would do the same. Their country's falling apart. Right. Their country's falling apart and you're being sold a bill. That is true. Come here and you'll get everything you need. So you can't blame them. But at the same time, you know, then you look at New Yorkers. I live here. I pay exceptionally high taxes. I'm also a young single woman. When I go to the Roosevelt Hotel, which is the migrant uh processing right center. Right by 34th Street at Penn Station, the most trafficked. Yes, right in by the um, Grand Central Station. Exactly. Uh these are men of uh, I think I heard someone say of military age, which is accurate. They're somewhere between 20 and 40, maybe um, young, single, strong men that are not vetted now that are my neighbor and the neighbor of everyone else living in New York City. It's a humanitarian issue for those of us that live here as well. These are folks that hopefully have good intentions, but realistically, we have no idea what they've done, Absolutely. where they've come from, what they intend to do, especially give anyone 
free time. They, they're not able to work because of our asylum um, seeker system. So two years is how long it typically takes. So for two years, you're sitting around doing nothing. You're not going to be doing nothing. Yeah, you're grabbing a beer, you're hanging out, you're fighting in the stairwells, and we know that smoking. a lot of these people smoking. And the so at the beginning, I thought, wow, these hotels are hotels are being forced to take them in. Opposite, they get sold out hotels. They're making a killing. Oh my gosh, because it of is that. the sweetest deal. They get one to two year contracts, sometimes even longer, guaranteed pay for every single room from the city, which is a guaranteed payer. You know, if you rent out to me, I might put my credit card down, but you know, or put down my debit card and not pay the full room. They're getting guaranteed cash from the city up front. We're actually even seeing, which is really disappointing, one of the newest shelters will be in Staten Island, one of the boroughs of New York. And it was a former senior citizen center that closed down last year. I talked to the councilman from that area. They had tried when they were closing down, they tried to get comparable care. So other senior centers to get in there because these are you know, 90-year-olds that have been living in Staten Island for their whole life. And now they're being told, oh, you have to move out because we're closing down. So they tried to match them up with other senior. The place said, no, we're not interested. Come to find out just a couple weeks ago, they announced that they've entered into a contract with the city. They're going to be opening, reopening as a migrant shelter. So what used to be a space for 100 seniors will now be a space for 100 migrant families in Staten Island who don't have any connection to the area, will not have to pay for it and have displaced seniors. It's, right. it's crazy. If this isn't a major issue in the election, I don't know what is, and let alone the 84,000 uh, unaccompanied minors that have just gone missing. They're off the rolls. Sponsors show up, and you feel out there's not a big vetting process for that. And some of them are being used in child labor t- situations, which is just awful. They disappear off the grid. So Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll of Massachusetts, to show you how widespread this is, Democrat, said this about her housing situation, Cut 24. If you have an extra room or suite in your home, please consider hosting a family. Safe housing and shelter is our most pressing need. Become a sponsor family. If you're a local official, a college president, a business owner or a faith leader with an available building or space in your community, please work with us to offer it as a shelter site. If you're a social service provider, Please consider becoming an emergency assistance homeless shelter provider. Our resources are stretched thin there as well. And if you're a hotel or a motel owner, consider opening it up for emergency assistance. It's unbelievable. Like if you have a room in your house, just take somebody in. Who the hell are they? Why would you do that? You know the application to get an in to bring someone in the apartment? If you don't have a history of work, if you're just new to a job, a lot of people don't want to rent to you. What about new to our country, don't speak the language, or you have one of the 100-plus countries represented? People think it's all Central and South America. Madison, that's not the case. No, it's not the case. I mean, I've been outside the Roosevelt Hotel. I've been to these different shelters. You have people from South America, but I've been um, really surprised by the number of Africans that are also crossing our border and now seeking asylum. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think if you are a family living in Massachusetts, how would you— how could you take someone in that you don't know anything about their background? It seems like such a bizarre um, request. But this is what happens when you have a sanctuary city or a sanctuary status with Massachusetts. Again, so far away from the border, but the governor there has declared a state of emergency, Maura Healy. And I have from back in 2017 when this didn't seem like a big problem to them because we're still having people cross, but... You know, it's not at the level that we are having and they're not being bussed up here. And she talks about how, you know, there we have a system that's working well for us. There are a number of places that have adopted a status as a sanctuary city, places being cities in Massachusetts. That is, it is working. That's from the Boston Globe from a quote from her. And then Tuesday, 
Today, I'm declaring a state of emergency in Massachusetts. Unbelievable. Uh, So here we go. And Texas, today we understand the Mexican foreign minister is meeting with Anthony Blinken, at which time he's going to ask Texas to get those floaties out of the Rio Grande River that's helping block those looking to cross because, number one, it's putting their lives at risk. And then our agents oftentimes have to get in the water to save them and just send a message to families. It's not worth it. And now they're saying the problem is the dividers that the Texans have put across the Rio Grande. Incredible. Now you can't put floaties in the water or a wall at the border. Somebody's got to show some logic and think America first. Madison's going to stick around. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Bottom of the hour, Jason Chaffetz will be here. We're going to break down 2024. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. Madison Allworth is here covering a series of big stories. We're just talking about the illegal immigration situation, the migrants that have been here. Uh, There's over 50,000 here now. Up to 100,000 have transferred through. Uh, They expect uh, tens of thousands more. How many are we getting a day, Madison? So the last check that I've seen is 2,000-ish a week. But I've heard reports between two to 4,000. And it just depends. I, You know, Bill Malugin's so on top of the story as well. And I think he was embedded with uh, Texas State Troopers last night. And he was showing video of, like, just how many cross. So I think if it's a successful crossing day, that number goes up. It it really fluctuates. Wow, so interesting. So the other big story that you're uh, talking about, if you see the president yesterday, he was talking about the Grand Canyon. Turns out it's nice. Uh, (laughs) And he has decided to make it a sanctuary so you can't drill or mine there, which is crazy. But that's another story. But he's all about being green. He thinks the this generation, Generation Z, whatever it is, the youngest, if you want to win their vote, you got to go green. And one of the things he talks about is these wind farms. That's something you've been working on. Oh, my gosh. And we've seen them. I mean, we've seen them everywhere, everywhere you travel, sometimes in the ocean. But what do we find? What is the problem with the wind? Yeah, so it's remarkable. The offshore wind uh, revolution in America is happening at a pace that's really unprecedented. And those that are concerned are are really upset with how quickly this is being pushed through. So the East Coast is where all this offshore wind is going to go because when you look at our two coasts, the West Coast really drops off quickly. So you can't drill these giant uh, pillars into the ocean floor. On the East Coast, you can. So we have leased out hundreds of acres of our shoreline to foreign companies to build offshore wind. The U.S. does not have offshore wind manufacturing capabilities. So we are paying foreign nationals, foreign entities to develop offshore wind, uh, which is an energy source that hasn't even really been proven effective in Europe, where they are so green. They were ahead of us. They're definitely ahead of us. They've had to revert back to using coal in some instances. We're seeing the shutting down of certain offshore wind because of uh, national security border concerns in these countries. And yet we push push ahead. The, just two weeks ago, uh, the Biden administration announced the upcoming lease sale is what they call it. So they sell a lease of ocean land uh, for offshore wind. And they are doing their first one off the coast, off the Gulf Coast. So in the south coming up this month with a probably announcement in September. But when I talk to ocean folks that are concerned about this, there's a huge concern around wildlife because you're majorly disrupting uh, the ocean. And there's also a military concern. What's wild is 
to set up this offshore wind, you have to do a lot of survey work. So you're sending out these boats that send sonar to the bottom of the ocean to kind of map it out, figure out what to do. Well, that sonar is frequently frequently at the same frequency that whales use for echolocation. So we are seeing an unprecedentedly high number of whale deaths all along the East Coast. It's been happening for years, really since 2015, which potentially by coincidence, potentially not, is also when they started doing this survey work. And that's what's upsetting folks. So the same people that want the wind are usually the same people who want to save the whales. So why do wind is more important than the whales? I mean, it doesn't seem these environmentalists care that much that we're seeing the whales litter our beaches. They don't seem to want to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where uh, green at all costs, which seems fascinating because, yes, there is a real irony that this could be causing major damage to our environment, and yet we are just pushing ahead. Make a lot of noise, kill a lot of birds, and now you're saying just the construction of which is hurting our surveillance and our security. You said Taiwan's a good example of of an adjustment needed to be made. Right. So another big concern is national security, border security. So when these major offshore winds, and we're not talking, you know, the wind, the wind farms that you see on land, these would be even wider. Their circumference is even bigger because it's the ocean and you need to have more stability with the waves and the ocean movement. So these are huge swaths of ocean land, hundreds of offshore wind uh, turbines. And what we're seeing is in places like Taiwan, they're actually pausing their offshore wind turbines because of concerns around radar. They interfere with the actual radar. They have a footprint themselves that um, allows for masking. So other entities can kind of slip in without being detected because you can't tell if it's an offshore wind turbine or if it's a um, adversary's military equipment. So Uh they're actually pausing it in other nations. And then you think this is our entire East coast. We have two coasts. And one of them will potentially be littered, if you will, with these offshore wind turbines. There's real concern right. around what this could do for our national remember, security. Remember, Ted Kennedy and company, they don't want to see them. So you don't want them in Martha's Vineyard. You don't want them off the shore for the rich. You want them up just for people that go to the beach and don't have complaint of the political clout. I remember Donald Trump, believe it or not, on Jones Beach on Long Island, he bought the Boardwalk restaurant and said, yeah, we're not building them. I don't want my people staring out at those windmills and went to war with that on that. Just a side note. Madison, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Brian. All right, now you can take the rest of the day off. You have my permission. (laughs) Thank you. I'll sign all your forms. (laughs) Okay, perfect. All right, uh, Jason Chavis, don't move. The more you listen... The more you'll know, it's Brian Kilmeade. I heard from a White House official just a few minutes after my exchange with the president today here in New Mexico, who said they take issue with the premise of my question. They said my question is wrong because I referenced speakerphone conversations with business associates about business. They say that question is wrong and that the president's answer is right, that they never talked on speakerphone about business. But it was implied, if you watch the follow-up interview with Devin Archer, Devin Archer told Tucker it was implied the Biden brand was there, that the Bidens would play a role. And then when Tucker followed up and said, what do you mean that he provide access? Well, the guy who provide access was Joe Biden, not Hunter Biden. And that was, of course, Peter Ducey. Welcome back, everyone. And we're talking about the question he asked to President Biden, who waved him over, and he said, 
I don't like the question. Uh, first, Jason Chaffetz is here. Uh, Jason, do you, are you surprised the White House is at this place now, admitting now that he was there? First, he was never had no idea. Right. Admitting about the business, then saying that he had nothing to do with it. But Devin Arch goes, yeah, 20 times in 10 years he did. And then he met face-to-face, and it wasn't just a passerby. He actually stayed for dinner. But they didn't talk business the whole time. Jason Chaffetz, <laughs> you did this oversight investigation. What what alarms are going off in your head when I tell you this story? Well, just the obvious that that uh, these people were Hunter Biden's business partners. They weren't just, hey, this is an acquaintance that I knew you know, since the fourth grade. These were his business partners. You can't explain away not only the 20-plus telephone conversations, but you can't explain away – the meetings that you have when you actually have dinner and you're actually, um, you know, sitting and breaking bread for a long period of time. And then the money starts flowing right after I mean, the proof of concept was access to Joe Biden. That was the proof of concept. And when you, your brother's taking money, your daughter-in-law's taking money, nine, your nine son's people. taking, I mean, you go right down the list. Don't tell me that there's no business effect whatsoever. And that, what's the product? The, the product is access and influence. That's it. It's all about Joe Biden. And that is so absurd for them to gravitate. I think Kareem Jean-Pierre, when she said, you know, we've been saying this for a long time, they weren't in business together. That is such a, that is such a leap. And it's such, nobody believes that. I thought Jonathan Turley today, when he was out there talking about this, it's absurd. Nobody believes that when you all of your immediate family, not all of them, but so many of your immediate family members are getting it just it, it i don't think the president addressed the issue of how do you justify and here's another example one one that i i like to talk about i want others to talk about more on air force 2 when he was vice president of the united states he took hunter biden and jeff cooper who's hunter biden's business partner to mexico to try to close a deal yeah, to carlos slim to carlos how many people are on Air Force Two? A very small number of guests. How does the president justify taking Hunter Biden's business partner to Mexico? What, what's that excuse? Oh, I was just talking about the weather by providing Air Force Two and all the presence and pomp and circumstance and access that that provides. Jason, if you're in Congress and you're fa- how, how many kids do you have? Three. If they showed up and they say, uh, Dad, can you meet me at I'm, I'm closing a business deal? And it has to do with Washington. Maybe they're lobbyists. Maybe they're not. Would you come by? You don't have to talk about it. They just come by and say hello so they know that you know what I'm up to. I, I mean. You I, would tell your kids, are you crazy? You know, you, as a congressman, you're like, no, no, no. I can't be involved in this. You cannot the foreign have foreign entities, that. Kazakhstan and China and the mayor of Moscow, you would go to, you'd strangle your kids. You'd go, you really? You want me sitting? You want me just to get impeached? Through all these years, isn't there a little bit of curiosity from the president? Hey, son, how are you making money these days? What are you doing for your job? Well, he knows. Remember, he wrote the personal note to Devin Archer. So glad you're working with my son. Sorry I had to sit with the president of China at a cocktail party for the president of China. That's President right. who at the time. Uh, so here is uh, here's Peter Ducey explaining the exchange. Cut three. That is a big headline because they are no longer saying that he did not have these speakerphone conversations with the associates, period. So it now seems like there were conversations. We don't know exactly what they were about. They're pointing to these Devin Archer uh, transcripts with the House Oversight Committee where he says they talked about kind of just polite 
pleasantries, including the weather. But Devin Archer later went on to say in an interview that it is categorically false that Hunter did uh, that Hunter and Joe did not talk at the time about business. Yeah, I mean, they they did. I mean, there are voicemails. There are text messages. There's the Hunter Biden laptop. There are photographs. There's golf outings. There's people riding on Air Force Two with the vice president. I mean, how many things do you have to have before they finally admit, well, yeah, he was involved in Hunter Biden's business and he was providing access. All right. So I'm just going to play this because I know they're still your friends in Congress, right? Don't you yeah. know most of them yeah, today? I do. So and you also know a good investigation. How would you characterize their investigation so far? Off the charts. Great. I'm so highly impressed. Look, they didn't even constitute the, the this Congress until the first part of January. And now here we are by the end of July, the amount of information they've been able to extract and fighting the White House every single step of the way. Remember the 1023. That's an unclassified and document. FBI. And they had to they had to go fight that. The access at the Treasury to the suspicious activity reports. Again, previously available to everybody. And no, they couldn't get access to that. It had to do an in-camera review. So what they've been able to extract, the transcribed interviews, the flow of money and records. There are more bank records to 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 un- unveil. And then they have to actually do the forensic accounting. I, th- I think they've been absolutely unbelievable in terms of their right. speed and velocity. The only I think of is where's the money for people listening to us right now that never see a million dollar paycheck in their life, um, especially with their family involved when they're not supposed to be. They're talking about 2.5 million, 1 million here, 5 million here. Where's the money? Why is this guy broke? Why does he get a free $142,000 Porsche? Did he write that off? The diamond rings? Did he write that off? Yeah. I mean, 3.1 what is carat the diamond um, you know, there's a big question mark to pleading about poverty to his kid that he had out of wedlock with a stripper. I mean, come on. Are we kidding? He, and he's living with his dad, his parents. He's 53 years old living with his parents on our expenses that, that all that cost goes to the American taxpayer. So, yeah, he's living at home with his parents. Congratulations. Way, when that uh, when that plea deal fell apart, one of the things the judge says, you're 53 years old. Go get get a job. Right. right. Come on. But he hasn't had a job because all he's been doing is trading off of, of daddy, and, and he's been using daddy. And and daddy, the policy has changed. That's what I want to remind people. The money coming out of Russia, the $3.5 million happens six days, six days before Russia invades Crimea. What a better place to park your money. Remember, they had over $200 million in management under management that Hunter Biden and his, his business partners were helping to manage. That money flows from an oligarch who's never on the sanctions list, just happens to come six days before Russia invades Crimea, and she's not on the sanctions list. Wow. What a coincidence. That is so interesting because I did not put that together. Here's James Comer, cut six. They used Joe Biden, and what we're seeing is Joe Biden actually provided things of value in return for that money. Look at Ukraine. I mean, it's becoming uh, crystal clear that he went and fired the prosecutor who was investigating his son's corrupt energy company over there. I mean, he bragged about it. He's on tape admitting he did it. We know now from Devin Archer that the Burisma owners were putting pressure on Hunter Biden to deliver. As you said earlier, Sean, he wasn't on the board because of his expertise or his knowledge of energy. He was on the board because his last name was Biden and he had access to the vice president. 
and no one's picking this up, but I saw the interview with Shoykin. I'm mispronouncing his name. I do if I apologize. It's in Ukrainian. So the translation, two weeks ago. And he said, let's make this clear. No one had a problem with me. I had enemies. The IMF, and all, they don't have a problem with me. The problem was Joe Biden got me fired. That was it. And right. I was investigating Burisma, and I was investigating his son. So, th- okay, the translation could be wrong, but it was one week ago. And I'm going, wait a second. He's weighing in now. We're waiting to find out the other side of it. So I don't know how corrupt this guy is, but I know he's got a story that's not been heard in America. Yeah, Joe Biden leveraged a billion dollars of U.S. money to thwart, get rid of the prosecutor who's looking at his son's business. Is that not a conflict of interest? Is Even the State Department, if you go back and look at the State Department, internal documents, they were having a problem with. They knew there was a perception problem. And there were some yeah. people who actually, in communiques, said this is a problem that Joe Biden's involved in this. I want to come back and talk about uh, what happened with Trump. In January, they went after his Twitter account. And what happened after I find intriguing, the fact that they wanted it, I find disconcerting. Uh, Jason Chaffetz here, Brian Kilmeade Show. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadeshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. Jason Chaffetz here. So, Jason, just looking at some of the president's uh, trials and tribulations as he's looking at a fourth indictment now, the former president. uh, What do you think, since you have this investigative gene in you, Jack Smith decides, I have to get access to the president's Twitter account, now dormant. Why do you need somebody's Twitter account? Isn't all this stuff public? What would be of that interest I give Elon Musk credit. Elon Musk said no. And they said, well, you have to. It's a subpoena. They go to an appeals court. He lost, and they fine him $350,000. I give him credit for that. No, I just want to get your take. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. It's it's an embarrassment that they would try to go to such lengths and issue a subpoena for something that was totally out there, public, available. Um, the pressure that they put on these social media companies, remember, they – have section you know they have protection under the law they're they're just a conduit and they, there is no liability for these for these social media they companies. post they they're post. a bulletin board yeah yeah they they get they're a conduit to get other information out so the pressure they put on them to 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 uh, suppress certain things to do what's really interesting is this lawsuit that's uh that's pending out there it's been in the works for years that is sort of a pro-Trump lawsuit, if you will. That I think is going to be the most illuminating. It was, and what's the lawsuit? It, it, it's a lawsuit to say that you improperly suppressed and um, manipulated what was going on at Twitter in favor of Democrats over Republicans. That lawsuit has been done very professionally, done by the group that is uh, that was did the tobacco lawsuits. These people know what they're doing, and that's still percolating through the courts. So uh, why would you need Twitter? It's public. Yeah. So the Wayback Machine can literally go find every single tweet that's already been out there. So they should be doing it themselves. Hey, anybody follow the president? I need to see your tweets. So number one, I just said, okay, does he direct message people? I'm not known to – he's not known to do that. Did he get direct messages to him? That would be the only thing that would necessarily – you know, not be something that everybody saw, but the president was somebody who liked to inform the people that followed him. 
Number number two, is it, does this uh, surprise you that they need his Twitter account? Yeah, it surprises me because it just goes to the narrative, which I think the president is right on, that they're just picking on the guy. Like, he was the president of the United States. You're going after his Twitter account? Really? It's come to that? Like, that's where you think he, he was uh, subverting the uh, the integrity of the United States of America? I mean, they've been going after this guy forever. There's nothing there. I. It just seems absurd that you have taxpayer-funded people working on getting into his Twitter account. So Trump put this on Truth Social. Just found out that Crooked Joe Biden's DOJ secretly attacked uh, secretly attacked my Twitter account, making it a point not to let me know about the major hit on my civil rights. My political opponent is crazy, trying to infringe mm-hmm. on any campaign for president. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Does his does the First Amendment still exist? Did Deranged Jack Smith st- uh, tell the unselects? unselects to destroy and delete all uh, evidence. These are dark days in America. And what he's talking about is the select committee on January 6th in Congress with Liz Cheney as co-chair destroyed everything. Yeah. Why would they destroy everything? That it should never happen. That should be part of the congressional record. Because some of the stuff they have would make Trump look good. Yeah. Some of the stuff would exonerate. That's why, because they want to know Republicans on there that didn't hate him. Like Kinzinger, who I liked, Went out of his mind. And Liz Cheney, who I always always had as a great guest, but they were just – they had Trump derangement uh, syndrome. No, and- it, why why destroy the congressional record? And uh, it, that's highly suspicious. You have to go to great lengths to do that. Um, you typically take – I don't re- – look, I was the chairman of the Oversight Committee. I, I don't think we destroyed anything. I think all of that was kept in the record. Um, you could argue that, hey, that's in the possession of – of this committee or this, you know, the Republicans, I wouldn't dive into the Democratic records. But if you're going to pass the baton, it should be part of the congressional record. So let's talk about 2024. Uh, Chris Christie's uh, happy. He got into double digits in some polls in New Hampshire and is tied with DeSantis. But for Brett Baer, he said, you're getting killed so far. Everybody is by Trump. Cut 13. Just the last um, two days, there have been two more polls that have come out that now have me tied for second with Governor DeSantis, um, one at uh, 11% and one at 9%. So we feel like it's really moving in our direction. Our momentum is going the right way. Governor DeSantis is, is going in the wrong direction. And so first job is to get past Governor DeSantis here in New Hampshire. We've now caught him. Now we need to pass him. And then we're going to take on Donald Trump one-on-one. So he's trying to talk optimistic, doing better than many people thought. He obviously is a smart guy with a lot of experience, uh, but he is firmly anti-Trump. Will Hurd, firmly anti-Trump. Others are, I'm better. I'm better than Trump. I'll do better. I'm younger. Um, what's the right tact here? And do you think it, are you one of the people that believe it's over? Um, it, it, the elections are never over until, I mean, we got a long ways to go. Uh, betting against Trump has never really turned out well for a lot of people. Um, but at the same time, I don't understand. I think part of the issue are, are the the uh, the RNC rules, the Republican National Committee rules about qualifying for the debate. One of them is the loyalty pledge. So you got to pledge to eventually support Trump the nominee. Trump says he will not sign it. So Trump says he won't sign it, but but Chris Christie says he won't sign it either. He said he'll sign it, but it's you know worth nothing. Because there's no way I would ever support Trump. Well, then why have a loyalty pledge? And the other one is, how do you qualify for the debate? And I'm not talking about Chris Christie necessarily, but some of these others. You have to have a uh, registered Republican poll. 
Those are really difficult to do. And some of the polls that they're cited are not registered Republican polls. And I, I, they created a bit of a mess by having that high standard. But those two things, there, there's some people like the governor of North Dakota. I don't know how he gets on there. I've never even heard anybody ever mention his He's name. He's on there. And I've never, but but under his how own. How do you do it? I don't. I don't know. I I can't well, imagine there's a poll that's out there. He gave to anyone who donated to him. Yeah, <laughs> he did. Give basically paying people to get on the list, right? Yeah. Because and Mayor Suarez says there's going to be a lottery to go watch Messi's game in the front row. That's right. You come. I. I it, nice guys, um, but I. You know what? I've never had anybody say, "Oh, if only Chris Christie was." The president, all the things would be. I think that that's a conversation I've never had. Nobody's ever said that. What to about me. DeSantis? Oh, I, I, I'm a big fan of Ron DeSantis. I think he's a good guy. I love Tim Scott, and Donald Trump's been a. You know, he's got a case to make. And so Nikki Haley. Yeah, Nikki Haley. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm much higher on it than you are. I think it's a good field. I know it's the one thing we got a bench. At least Republicans have a bench. I, when the president says, "I always like Timmy." And Senator Scott says, yeah, I will, me and the president work great. I'm saying they're going to, that might be your ticket. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.